Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an expert and informed look at the latter half of actor Nicolas Cage's filmography. We're here for our second episode of season two, The Cage Man, Uncaged. What do you think about that for a subtitle for season two, Derek? Hate it. Hate it. Got it. We'll maybe throw a different one out there for every episode, different subtitle. Okay. Um, you got an alt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you're so smart. <laughs> didn't we have Nikki's nightmares as something at one point? Nikki's nightmare. Nikki's nightmare is a segment. But uh, really quick, I, my name is David Tress. I'm here with Derek Smith, as I always will be. Uh, let's hear that alt, Derek, uh, for the I, season two subtitle. I already said it. It's um. Nikki's nightmare. Nikki's nightmare. Segment? Yeah, I <laughs> stole came up with that. <laughs> okay, so th- we're just gonna expand you. our segment uh, that we did once, I believe, where I the most subjective segment possible until today, maybe, um, where I told you three situations <laughs> that Nick could be put into, and you had to determine based on the <laughs> psychological findings that we've had over the course of this podcast, which would be his nightmare <laughs> to be put into. Um, <laughs> I loved that one. Yeah, we got to bring that back. Um, but today, are you ready to just hop in for our new segment today? Yeah, I'm ready. It's season two, baby, so we got new segments. Uh, started it off last week with a, sort of a, an alternative cage fact where uh, we did... Uh, two real movies that Nick has been working on and one fake movie. And you nailed it. You got it right. You are one for one right now. Thank you. Um, And today, uh, we're going to... You're going to be going up against the audience, Derek. Uh, So we won't know how you fare just yet. What? Um, But I... And this... (laughs) I like this idea. I don't know if it's best for an audio medium, but I'm going to give you guys uh, access to all of the visual sort of uh, um, uh, necessities of this uh, segment. So, um, Derek, right now, yeah, I'm just I just sent you three images. Okay. I just sent you three <laughs> images. Okay. And we are going to kick <laughs> off our new segment called uh, oh. The Cage Fashion. So people get to... Uh, <laughs> Jesus. People so get... We've got, there's a link for people to see these, right? Obviously. Yes. Okay. Everyone will be looking at this uh, with us. <laughs> um, so how we're going to start out is <laughs> we've got... Th- so basically, the idea of this segment is that we have three different looks that Nick has donned at certain what points throughout his career. Oh, my God. <laughs> three so different funny. looks. <laughs> and we're going to go through each look. Derek's going to describe them. I might help <laughs> him describe them a little bit. And we're going to decide which one uh, is just Derek's favorite, I oh, guess. Oh, choose- We're going to choose his favorite one. And then online, you guys will all be able to vote for your favorite as well. Oh, my God. (laughs) So let's... When did he dress like this? 
<laughs> let's maybe start with um we'll uh, do this in reverse order so let's start okay. with the mandy premiere look and then we'll okay. work up to the one that i think you're getting a really strong he's getting a strong response from there <laughs> so let's start with the mandy look okay, this so is uh nicholas at the premiere of his uh film mandy <sighs> which we reviewed last week uh what do you see going on with this look what are some of the elements we've got cooking here i'm starting from uh uh, tip to toes so up top yes. we've got the what looks like um what one of my least favorite parts of nick cage is when he kind of clings to youth a little bit too much where his hair looks a little dyed it's very dark yes um kind of like slicked back and too cool for school um mixed with the most ridiculous red pair of uh, aviator ish sunglass yeah, goggles not- they're like they're plastic black like plastic frames or I'm not sure if they're plastic but it's not and there's no metal in them uh they're sort of they look kind of like Zach Galifianakis's sunglasses mm. in the hangover mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like that's maybe the most popular usage of this style of frame but yeah just like uh completely red lenses uh heading down uh pretty well groomed beard and stash and then a mm-hmm. solid gold jacket Yes, they. <laughs> is that what I? What material do you think that is? Because at first I was like, "Oh, that's leather," but it might be like a painted gold. It denim. looks painted, and it's in the yeah. style of a denim shirt with buttons. Uh, black T-shirt underneath, big f- weird gold rings. Uh, the pants <laughs> have something real interesting going on in the the crotch. Uh, yeah. Area. It's kind of like um, an old Victorian like um, right corset. But it's just, just the gateway to his um, groin. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. So it looks like those. Um, there's there's maybe eight. I don't know what's the term like bearings or something that you would then thread. Uh, there's a like, lot of like rope or fabricy string that is being used to fasten each one of those. Yes. Uh, and then what I assume are. I gotta zoom in on this. <laughs> what I assume are pockets. To the left and right um have an interesting little design but other than that it's your typical black leather pants definitely a boot yeah, sort cut. of braided leather pockets though There's yeah sort of like it's a like cross hatch if you ever had those like bracelets in middle school that look like dark brown crisscrossed uh like a leather yeah like a leather bracelet, bracelet yeah. it's kind of what the pockets look like and then boot cut uh with the pants leading to like pretty long dress black shoes that Look kind of, mm-hmm. they just blend into the pants, so he almost kind of looks like he's wearing flippers or something. Yeah, a very uh, flat ed, flat tipped boot, um, long, sort of elf like. Yeah, definitely not my favorite Nick Cage look. I mean, I the more youth he tries to put onto himself, the least I'm excited about. Although he does look like a guy who would be hanging out in a comic book shop, and I know he does love superheroes, so. Yes. It might be honest, uh, at least. I, I really agree with that, um, the the youth commentary. That's something that we've talked a lot about um, throughout the show, is that Nick definitely does cling to youth. Maybe he plays roles that should go to a younger actor sometimes. Yeah. Um, or is romancing a woman that just yes. doesn't make sense for his age. Definitely, Although, um, you know, which is why I'm so excited about how he's looking in one of these future ones. We're not quite there yet, though. Uh, mm-hmm, next mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. we have Nick uh, when he visited Kazakhstan, and I'm not sure who he's appearing in the photo with. I believe it's 
uh, one of uh, some sort of uh, elected official or politician from Kazakhstan. Yeah, you um, know, but Nick is wearing this is much traditional better. garb, I believe. Yeah, I would I yeah. would say so. I mean, he definitely looks uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like yes. he's maybe unsure if this is offensive. I don't. I don't. He. I, He's giving like a thousand yard stare. Maybe that's it. Maybe mm. this was like a thing that he got his publicist pushed him to do. And he's like, maybe he's feeling a little appropriative. Well, it's an interesting East ver- meets West because he's got this white collared black tie situation yes. underneath this decadent, uh, beautifully decorated. Uh, what is that called? It's, it's like a robe. It, it, He's got like a robe with with big um, sort of a dark brown fur collar around it and then like gilded uh, golden edges mm. all the way around that are, have this like very, very ornate, intricate design. It's a beautiful piece. It is. My favorite bit of it, actually, besides the wonderful hat, um, is the fact that he's kind of wearing three outfits because he's got the traditional garb. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he's got a very black tie, white collar dress shirt. Yeah. But if you look this down, like a ballet. If you look down yeah. south, he's got these kicks that just look like Nike running shoes. Yeah, just they to could pull be a pair of like black Yeezys or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. And mixed with the confused and slightly um, uh, <laughs> existential, <laughs> very despondent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an. It's a. It's a bizarre. An interesting look. I can see this being a crowd favorite. Yes. It's also an interesting dynamic. The woman that he's standing with is very clearly pleased to be <laughs> standing with Nick. Oh, who but he be? maybe could not be expressing uh, more of just like, a, just uh, he's absolutely vacant <laughs> here. Um, but then also, yeah, his hat. I don't know what you call these types of hats, but it's... Um, I, of like a winter's cap yeah tall big uh matches the fur the dark brown fur of his collar on his robe and then it's uh it's sort of just the cylindrical shape and then uh you know a little it reminds me like of those hand warmers you get when it's really cold that you put your hands into just like that big fluffy fabric thing yeah, looks cozy. This is a uh, cozy fit, Nick. I would wear that. For sure. Big time. Yeah, I would rock this whole look for sure. Okay, and then look number three, Derek. Yeah, yeah. This, this is um <laughs> a, the most recent image that we have of Nick. Really? Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is from uh, the premiere of his film, Running with the Devil. Oh. And I'll just let you dive right in because this is going to be a joy to sort of walk through. Honestly, like... <sighs> He's growling at me. It's like the first thing that is so important is like it really he's he's got an animalistic feral vibe because he's got uh, what what kind of hat is that? It's kind of like an outdoorsman with a little leather braid around it kind yeah, of Yeah, like a, a desert stalker's cap. Desert stalker. <laughs> Definitely something that you would see in like Red Dead or something. Yeah, or that, like Fallout or something. Yes. He's got a full grizzly beard and chops yes. and mustache. Like his Which eye- I believe is his real color, his actual yes, hair color. It looks this like. looks like an older gentleman's hairdo. Like and I like that about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like his his eyes are so striking and predatory yeah. but they're just peeking out of all this hair and man and masculine 
masculine energy, yeah. which is the brim of the hat is sitting so low that like it's you know just covering the top of his uh, lids. And but yeah, you you're still getting a lot of emotion sent your way through those baby blues. I mean, that hits you first, and then once you're thinking, yes. is this a man or uh, some sort of animal? You look down, <laughs> and he's got. I love this freaking shirt. It's like a denim shirt, but with like the um, the wintry fuzz around the collar, so it kind of makes it like a jacket. But the real yeah, a white fur color. The real color. highlight is not to bring up Zach Galifianakis again, but uh, definitely like Hangover Zach Galifianakis wolves on the. Mm-hmm. But it's not just like a wolf. It's like a beautiful Kincaid or something of a whole scene of like two wolves in a stream and like a trees and the moon yeah, there's a bird flying off and the, behind s- him. the sky kind of just fades into the top of the faded blue jacket uh yeah just pulling it off underneath with just a doors t-shirt and black yep. pants and just this is my nikki this is my nikki i love this i guy. love it i and there's something else that we'll talk about in the uh uh, at the end of the show for Cage News. Um, but I think that this is just a real heartening sign and direction yeah. for Nikki to be taking. You know, if he's embracing uh, who he is, if he's sort of like, you know, em- embracing who he's becoming and like l- tr- trying to, uh, you know, hang on to this path, this past and this youthfulness. I- I- I'm just so excited. But yeah, the, just the acid wash gene. Uh, jacket with with a beautiful wolf painting wolf, like uh, the wolf scene what i like about it too is like not a lot of actors can um really uh, pull off grizzly or like outdoorsman or i've seen some shit like yeah. uh liam neeson sometimes comes across as a little too much of an actor or or you mm. know like a little too clean but like nick's got his performances really portray a lot of just self-loathing and anxiety and madness which is i believe like almost synonymous with just being out in the wilderness and like being alone with your thoughts for too long i think this is this is this is all right with me dave yeah definitely and like you know if we think about like two of our favorite movies the two highest ranking movies we've got we've got mandy where he plays red and then we have him uh playing the titular joe yeah this is this this is very much him taking the lessons from those more matured more uh you know life lived characters yes uh, and he's bringing that into his own life which i love to see i yeah anything different too like knowing that he's you know he's been memefied and he's been acting for so long but like to be evolving or changing in any way is interesting and and makes me appreciate him yep i absolutely agree so uh listeners if you want to vote on your favorite look we 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 heard derek's favorite look it was look three the Mm -hmm. uh the wolf jean jacket (laughs) from the uh, Running with the Devil premiere. Um, but I will post a poll onto Twitter where you can uh, sound off and vote for your favorite cage look. Um, yeah, so there we go. Please do. Uh, Please yeah, do And that. then we'll report back with our results to see uh, how all that shakes out and whether or not Derek 
has the fashion sense. Hey, I, I, everyone's a winner in this one because these are some. That's true. Wonderful picks. These are solid looks. Good choices. These are all like within a few years of one another. <laughs> I think these are all from the last year, actually. I mean, this picture compared to his Mandy one, man, it's crazy. It really is, yeah. Because even, I, I think we talked about this in Joe in particular, where it was like, I think that his performance very, very much fits that character, but the, like, black, like, uh, shoe polish hair dye mm-hmm. and, like, the incredibly manicured beard, it was like, oh, I wish that he could just, like, you know, uh, you know let himself, you know, enter into more of a natural look. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, okay, uh, Moving on, we're yeah. going to get into the meat of the episode. Today we are reviewing mm. National Treasure. The Deuce. It's not even called, what the fuck is it called? Book National of Secrets. Treasure. The Book of Secrets, yes. The President's Book. Colin, <laughs> Book of Secrets. Oh, boy. Um, so we've got National Treasure. This was a, uh, a 2007 hey, release directed by National John Turtletaub, uh, available on Disney Plus Disney Plus. Services. Strangely. A temporary Cage, not brought to you by Disney Plus. Strangely, the original National Treasure is not available on Disney Plus. But I think sequel- it is. I looked. No, it's and not. I, it they says, were both on there. No, it says that you can't stream it until like next spring. Oh, interesting. Just waiting for those rights to turn over or something? Well, they have the second one, so I don't know. Very strange. Yeah. What is going on there? Some sort of conspiracy, which is very uh, in line with what this movie is all about. Um, Okay, we've got the movie is Benjamin Gates must follow a clue left in John Wilkes Booth's diary to prove his ancestors' innocence in the... (gasps) assassination of abraham lincoln last week when i read that i thought that he was his relative was john, john wilkes booth i was very confused and well, i thought they were trying to prove that john wilkes booth to be was fair innocent. the that is so like tenuously what the movie is about at all Truly, it's just this yes. strange setup that kind of gives you a payoff at the end, but is not really even I just watched it today. It was still like hard to connect the dots between the vindication of this character that has this weird intro and everything that happens and what's important in the movie. The movie is so uh, obsessed with like bloodlines and history and redeeming, uh, you know, the the honor of your ancestors, and which is yeah, it's so so strange. So, um, let's yeah, let's let's just hop right into this thing. Uh, the the movie stars Nicolas Cage. Uh, it has a a crazy um some heavy hitters like, cast yeah. of, of of you know. Uh, of actors uh diane kruger john voight helen mirren ed harris harvey keitel bruce greenwood uh justin bartha i don't (laughs) speaking of the hangover i don't know the budget but it definitely seems to have some disney money like there is insane production values huge set pieces tons of locations like it's money on the screen do you want to guess the budget uh let's say 38 million 
130. Oh my god, way off. Jeez, it's been a while. Yeah. Holy. I think that the the first one was such a like a massive success that they were like, "Okay, we're going to like flesh this out with like a huge a bigger cast like Ed Harris, I'm sure is not a cheap villain, you know, getting Harvey Keitel to have kind of like a bit small role. He's the head of the FBI. I don't know what he he does something in the FBI. Um but yeah, it's a an expensive movie that definitely reads. There's lots of big uh, car chases and crashes, lots of impressive mm-hmm. big old uh, spelunking sets, and you know, well, actually, like, things like that. It's all very like everything is practical in this movie too, mm-hmm. which really, Truly. I was really impressed with a lot of the stuff in in the third act, honestly. But we'll get to that. Yes, uh, the movie starts out. Uh, the night of the Lincoln assassination. We have two men that come up to the the great, 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 no, the great, great grandfather of John Voigt, who plays Nicolas Cage's dad. Uh Also, is that Benjamin, there's someone named Benjamin Franklin Gates. Is there grandpa is there great grandpa benjamin franklin uh or is that someone else i'm not sure but honestly like i don't know it doesn't matter it's set this the whole setup is just like a way to motivate the 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 movie into action because like i still don't completely understand or buy like the vindication storyline um, no, it makes no sense. No one in the world cares this much or is like plugged this in much into the history. So essentially, there is uh, the, the, the great great grandfather of Nicolas Cage is uh, implicated in the John Wilkes Booth assassination, wrongfully so. We yeah, see recently. that he's, yeah. he is like brought uh, this, uh, this like code. This is like how the movie starts um, at the night of the uh, Lincoln assassination. Um, the great great grandpa is brought a code. He's asked to decipher it. He's a great code breaker. Um, when he realizes like what he's br- breaking or mm-hmm. who he's breaking it for, he starts to refuse. He's shot and killed dead. Uh, and then that story, the, his son is there too. His Nick's great grandpa okay, this is gonna put me to sleep basically i know the i don't know how to the same piece of evidence which is a, a page out of a diary that is damning yes. the reputation of a relative of nicholas cage damning him by implicating him in the john wilkes booth assassination is the same piece of evidence that is a roadmap to an ancient city of gold and if nick can yes. find the ancient city of gold he can vindicate it that it's not a damning piece of evidence, it's actually something else. And like you said, Dave, the whole idea that this man's reputation would be destroyed and it would implicate Nick as a person and his family is so, like, no one would give this a read on Google Alerts, you know? Like, right. <laughs> it's so, like, in the weeds and strange, but it it's like, in the world of this movie, it might as well be pop culture. Right. Yes, exactly. It's sort of it, it feels a little bit um like, you know, the the angels and demons or Da Vinci Code thing mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. like th- these people are in this reality. 
the biggest celebrities, the biggest names in the world are like historians and well, code breakers or something like that. Because we get into uh, later, like this is the second movie. Uh, everyone right. is sort of like rolling the fame that they've achieved in right. that first movie, rolling off that fame that they've achieved in the first movie. Nick Cage and his uh, his dad, John Voight, are giving a talk, which is where the accusation that their ancestor was involved in the as mm -hmm. assassination was levied. Ed Harris stands up in the middle of it and asserts, you know, that he was involved and. Ed Harris gets into a huff. By the way, not not a bad antagonist, uh, all things oh, considered. Great. Um, I mean, his performance is good. Obviously, he's Ed Harris, but how they um, work for his payoff is really good, too. I mean, I will mm -hmm. say off the bat that this movie is absolutely a, uh, you know, a popcorn blockbuster, um, and it wears its genre so like obviously that it almost acts like armor in that there's so much about this movie that you could pick a part of being that's ridiculous that would never happen that doesn't logically make sense that's very movie so much so that the more you do that the more it just comes across that you're just no fun to hang out with compared yeah, to any totally. problems with the movie itself but there is a ton of that also so so extremely dated right off the bat even though it's only 10 years oh, old yeah. it was crazy like the depictions of like the internet and cell phone tech and any tech stuff, stuff like the it's very much like of the era of the brats and like that kind of old hollywood uh, movie stuff that doesn't really exist anymore but like there's a <laughs> there's a scene <laughs> near the beginning where uh riley uh, nick cage's like sidekick yes. um is flying a toy like a big toy helicopter essentially a drone yeah and nick cage who in this movie plays someone who knows everything about all history can drive a car like 007 is like an insane athlete and genius looks at riley flying this big fat dumb helicopter with a 1990s monitor like attached to a big old rc car controller and he goes this is this is impossible what you're doing. I can't believe this. And like yeah. soon after, it's like one of the most like one of the biggest hobbies for people to just be driving around drones that are much more sophisticated right. than that. Yeah, that is such an interesting thing because like a year, like two years, uh, you know, in front of this or um, after this movie, like the visual language of like what a drone is has been like so thoroughly established. Yeah, but, yeah, it's very very uh, funny to see it's the helicopter. Also, like they're using it to read a clue off of the Statue of Liberty. Um, or the 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 French the Statue sister, of Liberty. yeah, the sister, yeah. yes. Um, but it's so funny. Those are the shots where, like, <laughs> you can tell it's so so far away, but they're kind of using forced perspective to mm -hmm. communicate that it's closer. But it's like too big, so it's still very obvious that it's like just so so far away, and they didn't get a permit to get closer or whatever. Uh, ridiculous. But going back, I I want to talk about. The introduction of uh, Justin Bartha's character, Riley, he's a, a writer <sighs> and he is just uh, he's written a book that's about conspiracies. It's about a Area 51. It's about 
uh, secrets, you know, all these like secrets that are in our society and in the history of uh, uh, America. They just missed um, the mark with like the whole lizard people and flat earther stuff like coming out yes. soon after this movie. For sure, yeah. It, yeah, a draft of this um, script, if it had like been released in 2009, would definitely include that stuff. Um, but he, it's so funny though, because he's very clearly. He's just like insanely horny. Like there's like uh, he sucks, dude. Like, like <laughs> coeds coming up to him and are just like, wait, are you Benjamin Gates? Which is uh, or Patrick Gates, I believe, is uh, Nick's character. Uh, and then he's like, no, ah, no that's Gates. not actually me. So it's so funny to me though because what that says is they're like aware. They've read a lot about Patrick Bates. Don't know what he looks like though. Still want to fuck him. Still want to fuck the like <laughs> the adventurer historian Patrick Gates. It's uh, Ben Gates. The, you were right the first time. Uh, is it Ben yeah, Gates? Yeah, okay. yeah, Ben Gates. Uh, but like when they like see this guy who is arguably like a much better looking guy, they're like and definitely not younger. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, he he is like definitely one of the least, uh, just I, I the best word to say is good. Like he's just kind of one of the worst parts of the movie. Like yeah, he's very much used as com comic relief. He's doing this book signing where he's just getting like cuckolded essentially, and then his Ferrari gets towed. Uh, he has to bring his like big, um, big box full of unsold books home on a dolly, uh, and he just gets roped in. It's kind of adventure. One of the main issues I had with the movie, actually, which I want to say before we get, because when I googled like, oh, I need to recap the first one or whatever, all you can find online is like everything wrong with this book. This shit sucks. Like I actually mm. really enjoyed parts of this movie. And yeah, me too. I, I definitely found it much less of a chore to watch than a lot of movies we have watched in the past. But 100%. One of the biggest issues I had is that there are, like, across the board, such little arcs for the characters. It's like we established them in the first movie, and now they are just static. Like, he doesn't change at all. Nicolas Cage's character, or Ben Gates, kind of has a little bit of alluding to it when they get captured by security in Buckingham Palace about how he could have been better in their in his relationship with the love interest. Um, mm -hmm. But that came way late in the movie. Like, besides people ending up romancing their partners that they kind of fell out with, other than that, there is, like, almost no evolution or arc or, like, uh, I mean, Nick's character is kind of a Mary Sue in general in that, like, it's almost frustratingly how like he is a uh, professor who knows so much and is a genius, but is also a, an action movie star and also completely selfless and also just the best guy ever. And nothing really changes in anybody's like understanding. Yeah, he's very, very sure of himself. We we meet him and uh, his. I, I don't remember. Was Diane Kruger his his wife? Was she in the first one as well? Yeah, I think so. Okay, Abigail. so they they are uh, separated at the time of the start of this movie. Justin Bartha asks uh, Riley asks like, w "What's going on? Like, w what happened?" Nick doesn't give like any sort of an answer. I think he says mm -hmm. something about like uh like she says who just like wasn't serious enough and she says so a lot 
and then right. it, that's their whole thing. Very pedantic. And he references it at the end. It's like, because she says so a lot when they're talking, he feels like it's an attack on him being validated and everything he has to say is really important and so he can't mm-hmm. stand that idea i mean she's not a great character in general man she is like just along no. for the ride she's kind of a it's too bad because honestly my favorite arc uh is the old love in the in the movie like the john Voight yeah. helen mirren stuff is is like s- some of the saving grace in terms of romance yeah, you feel like there's like, oh, you can kind of understand uh, the 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 context of what their relationship was. Like, you know, they're they're big, they're two big, like proud, confident personalities that like ended up butting heads a lot. But obviously, and you know, it, it they end up still like caring a lot about each other. Well, they're but both. Yeah, there's nothing really there for the Diane Kruger. Like Nick, in the moments where he's kind of defending himself, there's a there's a scene where he they're like put into uh uh like a lockup together at a certain point, mm-hmm. and he is being like insufferable. He's he's yeah. like so so egotistical and uh like you know telling her that he's always right and and like not in like a cute smarmy way like he's not doing it really in an indiana jones or right. like a han solo it's or like hard not to Drake style way do um, those comparisons with those leading men because he's basically that leading man in this movie like indiana right jones. well yeah it's the same it's it's very much the same genre as like an uncharted or an indiana jones uh, the treasure finding movies where you right. have multiple factions all after the same thing and mm-hmm. it's this race against time and the you know, but but it's led by this like just genius sort of smarmy guy. I mean, um, it, it, I enjoyed that it was like starting to show flaws in him, but it was doing it in a way that like didn't really have any responsibility. Like John Voight uh, has that great scene where he gets vulnerable with uh, Hem- Helen Mirren's character Emily and says like, uh, "Did it ever occur to you that like I did all this stuff just to impress you because I really love you?" And in that conversation she gets really upset rightfully so that like that's not really a sacrifice what i did was a sacrifice and you never understood Mm. that and he takes it in and realizes that he needs to course correct and like that's just such a different (laughs) situation than the scene you're talking about oh totally um yeah which is like maybe saying something nick is still too young at like whatever like late 40s or something to make that discovery he's got to live a little more to to figure out how to not be an insufferable partner (laughs) um but yeah i mean so there's just like a number of set pieces too plentiful to even like cover Mm -hmm. uh we'll talk about let's talk let's talk about the scene where we get the cagiest performance where they were like doing the distraction uh yeah, they yeah. at a certain point, Nick. Uh, after after the helicopter scene, we can just pick up right there. He uh, they have the clue um, of that. There's like some sort of like twins, resolute twins. Too many clues, and, and he is just like kind of pontificates in this like working through it in real time. This is one of the first times we get to see Benjamin Gates' genius up Ugh. close and personal it's bad man <laughs> it's like puzzle solver it's like just ripe for parody like the way he yeah. he works things out in real time to find the next clue siamese twins uh thailand trade routes uh, yeah it's like a, no, the south park it. episode like, what? Yeah. uh yeah so they they realize that uh they got to go to london also like 
this movie does a lot of like globe hopping, which is very, very common in this genre, but it doesn't have any sort of like, there's never any um, like attempt to segue like, like uh, um, gracefully from place to place. Like I was genuinely so confused and I don't know if it was because I was like not paying the best attention, but when they were in France suddenly, like well, I didn't... Because I know they were going to the Statue of Liberty, but then like they're there, they're they're shooting it on the helicopter, and then they you see two uh, the, French cops. Roll the up movie on. is about America and the president yes. and lineage. Like Europe might as well just be one big chunk, basically. Because that's which brings up the point for me just for one second. Who is this movie for? Because it's super steeped in history and and things that history buffs might find interesting but anyone who's genuinely interested in history is going to find it pretty insufferable and ridiculous and yeah. it's also kind of for kids but there's a lot of heady weird plot logistics that get really confusing so i don't really know like exactly who is jazzed about this movie no i think that's a really good point cuz like the movie is very clearly like horny for America. There's like a yeah. scene where uh, Nick is like giving a call to action to the president and like right. invoking the Constitution and he, like you've got to do the right thing. Yeah, here. he's saying and, like and that. Honestly, that whole scene really was interesting in relation to where we are right now politically and who our president is. Just about for like because sure. he was touching on something that is kind of true, like. Uh, People don't really believe that the president, whoever it is, really has great character or wants the best and is kind of a hero or an idol. But people want to believe that. And wouldn't it be great if we did look mm. up to a president and like to hear that call of action with the context of our uh, current political climate is was really sure. interesting. Yeah. And I mean, like. So this this movie came out before uh, Barack Obama took office and like not to get like super political. I feel like a lot of people uh, on a lot of people uh, across the board have woken up to not treat the presidential office with like this just outright reverence. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is funny because this movie was very, very much made in an era where it's like we should expect great things. And the pre and Bruce Greenwood is just like the most handsome charismatic oh, yeah. idealized president he's that absolutely a hero be. but like a hero yes. in a way that like a child would see this character as a hero not so sure. much like a high functioning adult so again what is who's this movie for <laughs> yeah totally. it's so it's so funny because it's like oh yeah this guy was is probably like a moderate democrat at best who like is uh you know has uses like drone strikes and like is pro death squads in like south <laughs> america and stuff like <laughs> it's uh it, it's a weird thing it's a very it, it's the movie is like very very like you said very pro america and and also like that comes across in the desire to defend their ancestors like place as significant contributors right, to the right. history of america and what it's become that's an like interesting defending, angle that i didn't really think yeah about. defending the intention of like what america is supposed to be and what it has been is like very very important right and then, you know there's weird stuff of like the movie kind of in a way becomes a bunch of white people discovering like an indigenous city made of gold <laughs> which is and then kind of fucking it up immediately yeah, destroying <laughs> I mean, absolutely destroying it. it. Yeah, it definitely like 
uh, it paints, uh, portrays the American president as a hero. And, and there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with like a movie uh, showcasing the positives of America. But I do kind of see it as you're saying, like almost as a um, re- retaliation of like the kind of, you know, the way we thought uh, thought about and talked about our founding fathers maybe 10, 20 years ago is definitely kind of in the mainstream a little bit different of like, we shouldn't idolize these people and here's more information about what they really maybe were like because they were products of their time and were living definitely. in a different world than we are. But it, it's kind of like, yeah, preserving, kind of like Disney in general sometimes, like kind of preserving mm, this golden yeah. age of perfection in certain ways, yeah. For sure, yeah, they'll like emit specific pieces of context to 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 maintain this like idealized version because it's like yeah, there's something there's like a fear of uh losing this uh this idea or I feel like there's just a fear of if if we acknowledge that things were not good at this like peak of you know America being birthed and like mm-hmm. how wonderful that was, there's not as much to like work towards, which is like a fundamentally like flawed thought. But you can't like strive for that greatness. I feel like this is from a perspective where you know it's like ah oh, modern times have complicated things, and we need to strive uh, for you know the great American ideals that were set up for us by uh, by our founding fathers. Um, it's part of what makes the movie so fun too. But but getting yeah. back to to Cage, uh, we do. I'll bring it back to what you're bringing up. We do get to yes. see a little bit of our boy getting taken off the leash because he's very on his best behavior in this movie. He's very consistent, um, mm-hmm. and he's not bad. Like he is funny, uh, and I don't know if he's like the best man for the job in terms of being likable in this role um but he, yeah but I you know he works and does a good job but we don't really get to see this is not a movie like uh bad lieutenant this is not a movie like leaving las vegas you know that's not what's going on here it's got the disney sure. kind of shrink wrap on it so we get yeah, to see a, a little bit of a friendly cage performance for sure but yeah so they're they're in buckingham palace and they need to get taken by security so that they can get uh, locked up and then have their hacker Riley get them out so that they're behind enemy lines and part of that plan improvised becomes uh, Nick and his love interest uh, Abigail getting into a melodramatic fight and as soon as he realizes this can be used as a good distraction you know Riley says oh no this is good and so he completely goes a little bit melodrama and starts stomping down the stairs with his knees going to his chest and like putting his arms around random people and just like projecting and doing the cage stuff you know which is fun to see because that that's the moment uh in the movie where you kind of realize it's like oh we don't have the most traditional like leading man who is just going to be like uh you know laconic and and he's he is not like a harrison ford type in Mm -hmm. this role Let's like, what are his strengths? And is he like a person mm-hmm. who is great with theatrics and, um, and being, you know, like, uh, and, and, and like creating a scene and being kind of annoying and ridiculous and over the top? Uh, it, I think it like works and is fun. And it's a, uh, it's a funny scene. You know, yeah. he's, he's hops onto a railing at a certain point and is shouting <laughs> like Britishisms into a, a, a very like polite security guard's face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's fun. I think I think it's nice, but, but I will say, 
the thing is, I think okay. that like it, this type of performance is the exact type of like director's request that got mm. us into this trouble in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what it, you're saying. It's it's the this movie maybe more so than any other is like the tipping point of him sort of falling off and like. I think this movie kind of underperformed domestically, maybe a little bit. Uh, it had a huge budget. I think it made its money back because he's a huge international uh, star. But it may, this is one of his like last big Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, if, uh, if like critics were underwhelmed by it, if it didn't resonate with audiences, and then they, they're just like, oh, yeah, this is Nick doing what I expect of him. Mm -hmm. uh, and it feels like a little rote and uh, like derivative for him. And it's like, oh, you know, like we talked about uh, him having kind of a, a cagey moment in Mandy, but it being like so contextually specific and like earned mm -hmm. within the context. Mm -hmm. um, this very much feels like completely unnecessary. Like it doesn't really, it, it like gets the job done. Like they find enough of a, a, like a setup to where it's like oh okay i guess why i guess we're doing the, like i understand why we're doing this but at the same time it's like n it wasn't necessary for the character and it's also like the most extreme version of this character he he, he doesn't always feel like this guy yeah um so yeah i could sort of see like this type of performance uh and just getting a little more perfunctory with this type of performance could maybe turn some critics like cynical cynically against cage i do like his part of his character another part of his like insane repertoire of skills <laughs> is that he is a, a great manipulator and an actor within the yeah. character himself like the way he um panders to the president making him feel like he's really smart or like a scene that was pretty messed up with uh connor the fbi guy where they use mm. they they use uh, uh, Abigail as like a sexual object to distract him while Nick Cage flips a bunch of switches on the president of the United States yeah. desk. Uh, but in that scene, he was playing ball really well and had, it was actually very cagey in general. Like there's a line where he just goes like, Connor, you rock. And he's just like being super strange and sarcastic and excitable, which is very Nick Cage. But like, I still agree with you. Like, I don't know while those things do happen and play to mm -hmm. Nick Cage's strengths, I don't know if it necessarily, I mean, his character, like I said, is just like, he's too much of an amalgam of, of spy and professor and hero that it's just, it's hard to be super interested in general. Yeah. That's a, that's a great like summation of, of like the core problem with that character. Cause yeah, there, there's a number of moments where he is like, you know he he is free to uh do what he wants to with that performance i think but i think that um yeah i think that maybe through direction or just his under understanding of what studios wanted out of him maybe mm -hmm. that's where it like becomes a little muddled and, and just like ends up not being well 3 uh, years yeah. after this movie i believe is when the same director got Nicolas Cage on The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is one of our least favorite right. movies of the yeah. whole thing. So I don't, you know, I don't trust my Nicky with this man, you know? Yeah, that's true. I'm not interested. He was just in an interview talking about uh, the possibility of a third, <laughs> a third national, national treasure. National treasure? 
Yeah. Oh man, I'd be interested because um, just because it it's somehow just became dated so fast. Like like we were saying, there's yeah. this scene where Riley is in the bathroom and he's setting up like a hacker station oh. and he pulls out like a brick iPod, hardwires it to like a Blackberry, mounts it to the wall onto like an old ass like Mac laptop. And he's like, I'm in the grid, man. I'm in the matrix. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. It like, it feels like it just like missed this window where, be yeah, because it's using so many specific, like there's Motorola razors in this mm -hmm. movie. There's so many, like you see an MSN, um, like web page at a certain point when John Voigt's using the computer. Oh, and John Voigt John says, Voigt's he says, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's on the internet now. There's no stopping it. <laughs> oh, yes. That was a great line. <laughs> Some good. Okay. Boomer, uh, situation. <laughs> Which line. is also like something that's like fundamentally like not even that true about the internet like well, a thing especially now that, but yeah yeah it's the thing that we've like come to realize after having the internet for so long is it's like oh shit like not you know like all of this like uh original content that is made on the internet sometimes it does get lost and it's like a website will shut down you'll lose an yeah. entire library of stuff um so yeah that was a very very funny line um uh but seeing what a national treasure might look like uh, now I don't know. I'm not really interested yeah, that, in. That's what I was gonna say. John I think Turtle that Tom, like, but... no. Um, what has he even been up to? But yeah, um, I think that this mi movie just missed the window of like. I'm trying to think of like when Mission Impossible, like Ghost Protocol, came mm. out or something, where it was like, oh, they started using like specifically designed tech that like is like you go back and watch it now, and it's like, oh, this still looks like totally feasible or, yeah. or realistic or like but maybe even the matrix using... like just using binary and stuff to kind of yeah. communicate that right or yeah that or more like retro future tech yeah it's like oh this is going to look a little this isn't going to age at all uh there just needed to be where there's new ones releasing every single year there needed to be some sort of consultant on it because like there's also a moment where they go to the Library of Congress and the President of the United States give Nick's Cage like a, a six-digit code for this library door. And, he, and Nick Cage goes up to the door and it's one of these little like door locks that are just these little button combinations that I used to use at like a place I worked that are just mm -hmm. so easy beyond belief to get past. They're just like... A really inexpensive, like somewhat more secure than a traditional lock, but you can just use a screwdriver literally to unscrew it and get past it. But the yeah. president of the United States himself <laughs> needed to tell Nick the six digit code so that he could press it into this thing and get into the uh, library. Yeah. The the whole so movie make it's like I don't know if you know geocaching, but like it made it like the whole movie makes you think the entire world is just a big like uh, like when you go to Chinatown and there's all those little logic puzzles or like flip the mm. switch, everything has a secret compartment everywhere. Yes. It's yes. ridiculous. Just like make you go like cryptomania, just like puzzles everywhere. Uh, yeah, puzzles and clues hidden in plain sight everywhere. I will. Uh, let's. Uh, yeah, we're getting a little in long. The first movie. Uh -huh. Yeah, the first movie we get the line. Uh, I'm gonna steal. What is it? The Declaration, Declaration of, of Independence. Independence. And this one, and this we movie, get a slow get, dolly I'm, going into the cage, man. Yeah. I'm going to kidnap the president of the United States, which is like th those two moments. Um, I'll just like use this as a lead into my to my review. Okay. I think like communicate the fact that they very much know 
that they're like super super fun like you know popcorn movie like like mm-hmm. you were saying earlier it's yeah. it, it like to to like try to tear this movie apart from like this like logically doesn't yeah, track yeah. is like fully fundamentally like yeah. missing the point you of what become this movie's trying to do the freaking asshole at that point <laughs> definitely yeah. uh it, which like doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like what this movie is no. trying to do you can definitely <laughs> be like oh you know this isn't for me and like this could be better like this genre can be done better yeah. But uh, I think, like uh, like you were saying earlier, out of the slate of movies that we have to watch, this one definitely is, like, competently assembled, and you get some fun cage moments. There's, you know, Ed Harris, again, a great, fun villain. Uh, they, they're reuniting after uh, their time on The Rock, where he plays, like, another really, really fun, cool villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Helen Mirren's presence in, in the movie. Justin Bartha <laughs> kind of sucks. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, Diane Kruger's character, not that well fleshed out, uh, you know, not super exciting, but I, I, I find her to be, like, a compelling actress. I will yeah. say uh, Ty, per- Ty Burrell, who plays her, yeah. like, FBI uh, boyfriend that it kind of feels like maybe she's just dating to get past uh, right. Benjamin Gates. Right. Uh, he's, he's pretty funny. He's kind of, like, funny as, like, a dumb guy who doesn't fully get it, but kind of gets it. Like, the moments where he's, like, is something going on between these two? I think are like well, yeah. Played. I think he's a very, very competent and compliments actor, to the director for making him feel like he knows his his situation in the scene. I think it, it seems deliberate for sure. Yeah, he's a he was very, very well cast in that role. Um, but yeah, for me, I would give this movie. I'll I'll give it a. Oh, this is a tough one. Actually, this is the thumbs thing, right? That we're about to do. This is our this is our good good oh. our bad good bad and our uh, bad bad review scale. Um, I think that this is kind of a tough one because our good bad is usually like something that we're enjoying in spite of the best earnest attempts of the filmmaker. But this is like I feel like the moments I enjoyed this film were the moments that were intended to be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might, but also like I'm not. I don't really want to give this a good good. But I enjoyed it. No, you know what? I can give it a good, good. Really? I'll give it a good. I'll, I'll give it a good, a good. A good, good. This also maybe reveals a flaw in our rating system because I feel like none of these exactly match up with it. Um, but you know, I feel like the mo- the movie achieves to some degree what it sets out to achieve. I think it's like a fine, forgettable. Like if you're if you're the type of person who uh go like is like i like going to the movies versus like <laughs> like seeing movies that are really like compelling and will stick with you for a while you just like go into the movie this could get it done for you i could imagine being uh like a 13 or 14 year old kid and being like man he's cool it's uh, hard to say that this movie is definitely enjoyable to people uh and then try to characterize those people and not make them sound stupid yeah, <laughs> but that on, is a like I honestly like I will. Are you are you settled on good good? And I'll go into mine. Yeah, you know what? I'll give it a I'll give it a good good just because I think that it uh, is somewhat successfully achieves what it sets out to. So, I okay. Like I said, I I did end up enjoying it more than most Nick movies we've seen, and it is really, really long. It's super long. So being able to enjoy it despite that runtime is definitely saying something. Two hours and four minutes. I think, uh, like, 
I'm a little bit more objective in in my rating um, because I do enjoy occasionally like popcorn flicks. Not all of them. I get kind of like um, fatigued easily by action. So like all of the um, car chase stuff. It's just like how many car chases have you seen in an action movie? Um, also, they were shooting at them with silencers and stuff, which kind of seemed a little crazy to me that they would shoot all these people to death in broad daylight in the street, even though yeah. a big part of the plot is to have Nick lead them to the treasure. But anyway, neither here nor well, there. Well, and to redeem Ed Harris's reputation. Right. Like him to, yeah, there, there's, a sequ- there's a scene at the end of a car chase where one of his henchmen like dives into uh, a river in London and like fetches an artifact and they're like, all right, let's uh, get out of here. And they're not like immediately swarmed by police. There's yeah. just like no police around. <laughs> I mean, again, that's world. kind of the logic thing. But like, yeah. it, it was more just the fact that like, I don't know, I think even uh, like 12 years ago when this movie came out, um, when we see a gun uh, on screen or any depictions of gun violence, it was a little bit different, you know, considering how much gun violence is rampant in the United States specifically. So it was just kind of a, a piece of an action sequence and really not a lot of thought was put into it beyond that besides raising the stakes. <clears throat> so I guess I could uh, forgive it that um, one thing that we didn't talk about too much that is a big part of why I enjoyed the movie is actually the third act once they finally find basically a dungeon or a temple um, that is like a, a a series of traps and passageways and riddles which leads yeah. them to the climax um, I actually really had a lot of fun. Um, the movie was too long already. So by the time we got in there, I was like, isn't it ending soon? But it still had like half hour left. So that kind of yeah. dragged it down. But it was super impressive set pieces. The design looked like somewhere you'd, oh, it would be so fun to walk around that set. It's like a Disneyland ride, basically, is what they're, is what they're moving through. And yeah. uh, throughout it, there's like the romance is really climaxing between the old love couple with Heron, Helen and, and Ed, uh, Helen and John Voight. Um, and uh, there's there's one set piece in particular that I really really enjoyed and I thought was really really clever um, and and perfect for the like visual storytelling medium and and it's it's a it's a scene where uh, Nick Cage his love interest Riley and the main antagonist Ed um, are all exploring together because Ed thinks the best chance of getting to the treasures to have Nick lead him there um, and they they end up on this large square platform that is being held up by a one thin pillar right in the middle essentially making it kind of like a scale so if everybody were on the left side of it it would um uh, uh the weight would shift to the left and everyone would fall to their depth so everybody has to kind of stand equally spread out on this platform so that it remains in balance but the problem is the only way out is to get the platform to um lean one way so that one person is high enough to reach the the exit and the idea that all of these people have to work together and potentially someone has to sacrifice themselves in a way that is mutually assured destruction with the main antagonist as part of this group was actually a super interesting like psychological thing it just told a lot about everybody's motivations in a in a visual way completely uh and it was a lot of fun seeing how it all worked out and the indiana jones style like um 
climax of that scene is that when Nick is the last one there, because he's always the first one to sacrifice himself for everybody, uh, they get like a big golden idol and have it hit the platform on one end. And as it rolls towards Nick, he runs the opposite way and does a cool <laughs> James Bond jump over it. And I, I, I thought that was like, for what that movie is and what it's trying to do, super clever, original, kind of gave me those vibes of like um, Lord of the Rings where they're on the, the staircase and they have to lean their weight uh, mm, in order for yeah. the whole fellowship to get across. And like, I loved that. Um, and, and I thought the end with the antagonist being the one to sacrifice himself for everyone else's life was super well-deserved and that he was doing it for the reasons that I believe were like developed in his spine as a character the whole time and wasn't necessarily motivated the same way Nick's character would have. A lot of cool stuff going on there, and, it, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, having said that, I'm going to give it um, a good bad just because I'm not, I can't give that thing a good good. Like, that's, it's too... No, <laughs> no, no way. But I had fun. It's a fun popcorn movie. I, I don't think, you know, like we were saying, it's definitely somebody's cup of tea. Like, I don't know exactly how to say it, but if you like stuff like cool set pieces, um, family friendly stuff, you know, deserved character moments and stuff that's just, you know, fun for the whole family without having to tear apart dramatic themes and stuff but still be a lot of fun and, and it it's it's a it's a decent movie to go see but but yeah i'll give it a a good uh bad because i'm never i'm never a good watch bad. This thing again yeah yeah that's fair i will say um you know maybe you're feeling like the content on disney plus is a little thin this is mm -hmm. something you could throw sure. on when you're cleaning the house or something like that but i i, I really uh yeah i like um i like your breakdown of that of that sequence i that was maybe one of my favorite parts of the movie too. That, that's always like a very fun moment. It also happens in like every single Uncharted game where the factions have to sort of work together mm -hmm. to some degree. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you have the the hero who's n more uh, capable, like mentally, um, but is like outgunned by you know the the villain. But they have to team up, which is is fun. I I, I like that sort of like treasure hunting genre. Um, yeah, I like the I like the reference to video games. I actually it made me think of um, the new Tomb Raider series. Um, oh yeah, definitely. The written th tombs. One thing I think they do better with that protagonist is that it seems like she's constantly over her head, which is never something it felt like. No. With Nick Cage, for the most Nick part, Nick is pretty much always in control. Yeah, as he right. should be um well that's great uh time to move into our segment now that we've gotten our reviews finished uh mm -hmm. for cage match oh cage we've got to decide where this movie falls in our rankings of uh of our movie so we have 10 films on our list uh in descending order mandy joe bad lieutenant port of call new orleans dog eat dog stolen outcast ghost rider pay the ghost sorcerer's apprentice and knowing Derek, gut check. Any uh does it fall in between any of those in your mind? Uh definitely under like I think it's the top four. Like Dog Eat Dog, I would say, is like yes. the last one that you read that I was like, definitely not, definitely not, definitely not. But then below that, Stolen I'm not sure comes yet. next. Which one was is that oh god. Stolen is the um Oh god, I'm getting flashbacks. Stolen, I believe, was the one. Uh, it was like tentatively titled "The Medallion," where he they're in New Orleans and he's uh, just like a taxi driver at a certain point. 
Um, that one His I daughter think gets stolen. We liked. Man, what a forgettable movie. It's basically yeah. his response to uh, Taken. Right? Yes, exactly that. Um, yeah, this was post like uh, Bangkok Dangerous, which we haven't done, but another interesting movie that we'll have to... And which one's under Stolen? Outcast, which was the Hayden Christensen movie. Oh, where yeah. Mickey's, like, I wish that one was better. I wish that one yeah. was better. Yeah, potential to be fun. I I wouldn't mind putting this one in between Dog Eat Dog and Stolen. Yeah, that's where my head's at. I'm trying to remember why we put Stolen so high on the list. I don't think it uh, had anything to do with like redeeming qualities as much as everything else was. It was just so fun to watch. Like I think there was a lot of good Nick Cage madness. Yes, and then also a lot of the other ones below it, we were like eager to like bury. We were like, these don't shouldn't uh, yeah sit high it's not list. even so much high on the list it's just like above stuff that's just yes just, just bad correct so how do you feel about that in between dog eat dog and stolen yeah absolutely sounds good okay <laughs> although <laughs> how could you put something under a mustard and ketchup fight with will <laughs> defoe and a bunch of thugs that should be number yeah. one. it was uh What's this? What's the subtitle called again? The Book of Secrets. Yeah, National Treasure Book of Secrets. The presidents have a secret book. Yeah, it's got Area Fifty One notes. It's got like all that secret president stuff passed down from president to president. <laughs> uh, wonderful. So that was Cage Match. Um, for our final segment of the show, uh, we are going to move into some Cage news. Extra, and Derek, extra. you've already heard about this news. It's taking the internet yeah. by storm. This is I, huge. I would be surprised if anyone... Uh, this is actually... I, I quote tweeted this on Twitter and said, I guess this is as good of a time uh, as ever to announce to that announce. we're going to do a season two. Yeah. All um, right. Yeah, this is huge news. So, yeah, this is from Birth Movies Death that I'm reading uh, uh, this article from. And Nicolas Cage may star, here's the headline, Nicolas Cage may star as Nicolas Cage in the most Nicolas Cage movie ever made. Um, And uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, reports that, uh, here's, I'm just going to get the description of this movie. Cage, if details close, would star as Nicolas Cage, the character is desperate to get a role in a new uh, Tarantino movie while also dealing with a strained relationship with his teenage daughter. He also occasionally talks to an egotistical 1990s version of himself who rides him (laughs) for making too many crappy movies and for not being a star anymore, which already you get kind of like shades of adaptation. We get a dual Nick performance in this, Mm -hmm. which is very, very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, but wait, there's more. Uh Uh-oh. The Cage character is also under a mountain of debt and finds himself forced to make an appearance at the birthday party of a Mexican billionaire who happens to be a fan of Cage's work and secretly hopes to show him a script on which he's been working. While he bonds with the man, Cage is informed by the CIA that the billionaire is actually a drug cartel kingpin who has kidnapped the daughter of a Mexican president nominee and is recruited by the U.S. government to get intelligence. The situation spirals even more dramatically when the Mexican uh, brings over Cage's daughter and ex-wife for a reconciliation, and when their lives are on the line, 
Cage takes on the role of a lifetime. Oh man, it's it's very meta. It's the best of both worlds in that we get kind of an introspective look at the man and his like persona and career <clears throat> career. Yeah. But also we get a fun, ridiculous Nick Cage movie on top of it yep. as like another layer to the onion of this of this bad boy. Yeah. So the title is The Unbearable <laughs> Weight of Massive Talent. Um, <laughs> Which is great. It's I, really good. I really hope uh Current Nick Cage looks like this wolf jacket, and his 1990s counterpart looks like the Mandy premiere. Oh, yeah. That'd be... I'm... Yeah, I'm really interested to see if they'll use, like, uh, you know, we've seen so much of that, like, digital actor tech, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they actually, like, get a younger uh, version of him. I think that might be one of the few times where I'm like, oh, this is, like, actually, like, used in an interesting way. I think Um, Nick would be down with that. Oh, yeah. He'd bring a beautiful version of himself back into the world. But this yeah. also reminds me a lot of Birdman, like uh, Michael mm, Keaton coming yeah. back, sort of uh, a meta criticism on his like role in Batman and how that like kind of uh, pushed him away from acting a little bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. This, I, I, could, I feel like I can draw a direct line between his look in that wolf jacket and this decision. I feel like it's him maturing as an actor. It's him becoming aware of this, um, this perception of him and pushing back and taking control. I want to see him attempt to represent and sort of cathartically like who he feels he is at this moment in his career. You got to capitalize on it too, man. He still has traction. Totally. And I feel like there, there is potentially a really, really, honest uh performance that he could give here that i yeah. you know if, if like handled correctly this could be fantastic I, i'm so excited do you think tarantino will it's funny that he's going for a tarantino or is it a, or a scorsese is it tarantino a tarantino a tarantino yeah. movie in the movie i'm so yeah. curious to see if maybe tarantino will do like a little cameo maybe like one of those celeb cameos lunch or something yeah where like like a celebrity just portrays them their own selves as being total dicks kind of thing yes totally that- <laughs> there was a lot of that in like curb your enthusiasm yeah uh, i i think larry david like does a uh, does a scorsese movie in one of those <laughs> in one of the seasons uh but yeah, that would be so so funny if he like stops him at like a cafe where they're both getting lunch and like Tarantino just wants nothing to do with him. He's just trying to get out of the conversation oh. as quickly as possible. Oh yeah, um, that's good. But stuff. yeah, this is this is huge. I I think that this is great. This feels like uh, we maybe have willed this into the world um, with our our reverence and our belief in uh, a great Nicolas Cage performance uh, mm-hmm. and in that mm-hmm. late career um renaissance that that we believe in um yeah so yeah i'm very very excited it's uh let's get into the details about who's working on this shit <laughs> this shit <laughs> sounds very frustrated i think it's like someone who's done comedy stuff uh previously um like just some television comedy um tom gormickin he was a writer on ghosted he was a writer he wrote uh that awkward moment which was like a movie He's a co-producer on Movie 43, so all comedy stuff. This guy is a director and a co-writer on this thing. Um, so he doesn't director? really have... He's a director and a co-writer, yeah. Are there multiple directors? It's No, just Wow, him. this guy's only got so, one directing credit. That's crazy. Him and Kevin Etten, yeah. This is new blood. I'm interested. Yeah, totally. I think that it's... I don't know if he does he even have oh yeah he has uh he did the that awkward moment. 
Yeah, I know that that awkward moment was a comedy film. It seems like a big studio comedy. Who knows how much of it was actually like, you know, him doing what he right. wanted to do versus right. him just taking on a project. Um, but yeah, we'll figure out how, who knows. This is uh, f- f- way, way off in the distance, I think. It's just in development. Um, I don't, when this first reported, I don't even think he was attached, but now is, I believe. Hmm. Um, but anyway, you know, we'll, uh, we'll check back in on that, uh, next movie that we're going uh, to, oh, uh, oh, next movie. We talked about it last week. Okay. Derek could hardly believe that it was a real movie. Uh, and then just, uh, fresh onto, uh, streaming services. Let's oh. see what Nick has been up to recently with Primal. A 2019 oh. release, a big game hunter for zoos. Oh, yeah. Passage on a Latin American shipping freighter with a fresh haul of exotic and deadly animals. Oh. Uh, there's also an assassin aboard who lets all the animals out. Yeah, it looks terrible. Cool. Looks terrible. Looks really fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get it. <laughs> Fuck. let's watch primal now we're back to the status quo we did the really interesting art house one we did the big budget disney one but now it's back to what this podcast is really about the yes. shit you didn't even know came out with crazy plot synopsis where nick cage is the leading man for god knows what reason our bread and butter um maybe all right, yeah but i'm so excited part of this is part of what got him into the you know the more primal look like when he smiles in that picture that we have on your Twitter or whatever, he he looks primal, man. He looks like he's gonna take a bite out of you. Yeah, he. Uh, I was reading an interview um, about this movie before we got started, and he said, "It's like a lot of the guys that I was, a lot of the guys I was going up against. Uh, you know, I'm smaller than these guys. These are big guys, <laughs> six 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 four guys. Uh, so I, you know, I in order to compete with these guys." got to go into a primal feral place. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so I think he's he's going to be an animal. Just watching him interact with probably like CGI animals is also going to be really <laughs> good. Nick Cage like losing his shit at a like tennis ball on a stick. Yes. Uh yes, yeah, so I can't wait for that. We'll uh see y'all next week. Yes. When we review Primal. <laughs>